Friends, we have arrived at Friday of Holy Week. It's been quite a journey. It's a journey that began uh, several weeks ago over in the sanctuary when we gathered for Ash Wednesday and we had those ash-marked crosses scrubbed across our foreheads. And this year, our journey will end in our homes. We'll virtually be connected, but we will gather only with those that we hold dearest. To be honest, this is not the journey that we expected to take during Lent. Though each Lenten season, we are invited to pare down our lives so that we can go deeper into the story of the gospel. We give things up or we take things on so that we can reconnect with the love of God that we know in Christ Jesus. We give uh, something up and we try something on uh, so that we can try to center ourselves during the busyness of our lives. Though this Lenten season, our lives have been pared down in a way that none of us could have imagined four weeks ago. Our daily lives have come to feel like they're at a standstill. Our routines have been interrupted. Our productivity and our efficiency, they feel like they've been cut way down. And so we find ourselves uh, searching for a new sense of normalcy, but we find uncertainty that we have rarely known before. This year, uh, we find ourselves on a journey that none of us chose. It's a journey that has been mandated by powers higher than ourselves. And I just want to say it's been hard. I don't know about you, but it's been hard. And it's okay to admit that. And so here we are on this Friday of Holy Week, and we have found ourselves on a journey that none of us would have chosen. And as we come to Friday of Holy Week, uh, we encounter Jesus on a journey that he would have never chosen. In fact, in his prayer at Gethsemane, Jesus begs for a different path, uh, a path with less disruption, a path with less pain, even as he walks the way that is laid before him. The gospel uh, writer of Mark is meticulous in the crafting and writing of Friday. Uh, Friday is broken down into three, four three-hour sections. In Mark's gospel, um, the first section is from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m., and that is uh, the trial and the sentencing of Jesus. The second section is from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., and that is when Jesus makes the journey to Golgotha and is crucified. The third section is from 12 o'clock to 3 in the afternoon. Jesus, uh, the light of the world, is there hanging on the cross, and darkness covers all of creation. And the fourth section is from 3 to 6 p.m. At 3 o'clock, Jesus breathed his last, and then Joseph of Arimathea goes to negotiate to get the body of Jesus and buries him. This day of Holy Week, this section of Scripture, is the most difficult to read, and it is certainly the darkest moment of Holy Week for us. I got to tell you, as I've uh, read and reread this text this week, I've been drawn into that very first section of Friday's account. 
If you have a Bible nearby, I want to invite you to join me in reading from the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released Barabbas for them. And after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him into the courtyard of the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole cohort. And they clothed them in a purple cloak. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on him. And they began saluting him. Hail, King of the Jews. They struck his head with a reed. They spat upon him and knelt down in homage to him. And after mocking him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on his own clothes. Then they led him out to crucify him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So who taught the soldiers to torture Jesus? I mean, who taught them that this is what you do to enemies of Rome? You know, some scholars uh, believe that it was the new recruits to the Roman army who were responsible for conducting crucifixions. It was uh, a rite of passage. It was an initiation, some think, which makes me wonder Who taught these new recruits to beat Jesus in the face with a reed? I mean, who taught these new recruits that they were to take uh, thorns and make them into a crown and smash it on his head, making sure that a head wound would bleed? I mean, who taught these new recruits to mock him and to shame him? I don't think they uh, received their assignment and went away and they came up with all of this on their own. Now, I'm convinced they were taught. This type of humiliation, uh, it's a learned behavior. It's passed down. It's learned. This is what they were taught. This is what Rome does to their enemies. And to be clear, An enemy of Rome was anyone who sought to undermine Roman authority. Anyone who was a rebel against the political, but also the religious establishment. That's why they hung Jesus between two rebels. That's what they thought Jesus was. Jesus was a rebel against the political and the religious establishment. In all likelihood, I think those new Roman military recruits I don't think they had ever met Jesus. I don't think they know him. I imagine the first time they ever laid eyes on him was uh, when he was sentenced at his trial, when they were ordered to take him to Golgotha. I imagine that Jesus didn't have a name to them. He was just another rebel against Rome. And as an enemy, he was to receive the worst that humanity had to offer. And to be clear, that's what Rome was requiring of those first-time military recruits. 
Rome required that they set aside their own humanity on behalf of the state. I think that's the only way you could ever do something like this. Jesus was an enemy. Therefore, that's how he was to be treated. I don't know, I've been thinking um, a lot over the last several weeks about our current situation. The current situation that we find ourselves in with the coronavirus. And it's unique to us as a people when we feel under siege, when we feel like we are under attack, we want to know where we are to direct our anger, where we are to direct our fear or our outrage or our anxiety or even our hate. We want someone to blame because it returns a a certain sense of stability to our lives. On 9-11, I was standing in line waiting to walk into opening convocation my freshman year of college. I'll never forget standing in that line when we received uh, word what was happening in New York City. It was clear that day that we were under attack and we wanted to know immediately who was to blame and what was happening. I mean, when someone is an enemy, we know what to do. It seems to me that we have found ourselves in a different place. A a virus has laid siege to the entire globe and it knows no borders, it knows no gender, it knows no race or age or status. And so this season is requiring something uh, far different than what we reserve for our enemies. This enemy isn't requiring our rage and our anger and our hate. This enemy is requiring our compassion and our patience and our Restraint, which seems to me is a total paradox of everything that we have uh, been taught, everything that we have been told and inherited of how we treat an enemy. We're in a new place as a people. We aren't uh, taking to the streets and fight. We aren't putting together our military options, but rather we're staying at home. We're isolating. We're self-distancing, which begs the question for us, does it not? Who has taught us to live in this season? I mean, who taught you to live out of love in the face of fear? Who taught you to live out of hope in the face of anxiety? Who taught um, these medical professionals who are literally rushing to the front lines to care for those most vulnerable, to love and to risk their lives for the sake of others Who has shaped our beliefs to think that we should isolate ourselves for the better of the whole? I know you would expect for me to say this, but it's true. For me, it's the Jesus story. It's the story of a God who has promised to love us from the beginning. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, who shaped the whole universe, is the same God who on this Friday suffers the very worst that the world had to offer. Not out of hate, but out of a love that we can hardly imagine. You know, Jesus doesn't run away from the pain of the cross. He doesn't try to look for someone else to blame. Rather, Jesus enters the suffering of the world and he ultimately uh, overcomes the power of sin and death. 
That's the God that we come to know on Friday of Holy Week. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the famed theologian who took on and faced the Nazi regime, said only the suffering God can help us. Only the suffering God can help us. My dear friends, in this season of suffering, take heart that we believe in a God who doesn't run away from the suffering of our world, but rather joins us in our suffering. Take heart that we believe in a God who doesn't run away from the instability of the world, but joins us in our own uncertainty. The uncertainty of not knowing whether or not you have the virus, or whether or not you will get better, or whether or not you'll keep your job, or whether or not you can feed your family, or when your kids will go back to school, or if graduation will really happen. For in the face of the worst of humanity, in the face of all that Rome could do to him, Jesus showed that there was a different path. There was a different way to face uncertainty, to face pain and even death. Oh, my dear friends, we have been taught how to live this season. Not with anger or blame, but with compassion and love. It's okay if you don't feel okay. It's okay if you feel scared or uncertain. Jesus demonstrates that that kind of human response is certainly reasonable. When he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's okay if compassion feels like a stretch right now. Compassion seems like a stretch for me some days. But then I'm encountered by the grace of God, by this overwhelming good news, by the power of this story. And the invitation overwhelms me and inspires me again. I was uh, encountered by this deep and abiding truth this week when I read the story on the BBC of the 73-year-old priest in Italy. He had been journeying with coronavirus for several weeks, and he had reached a point in his journey where he needed a ventilator, and one became available. But just before the priest was set to get it, he told the doctors that he wanted a younger man down the hall to have it. And several days after giving the ventilator to that young man in this town, Don Giuseppe, priest in that small town for 42 years, took his final breath. He'd spent 42 years trying to teach them how to live, and in his final moments, he tried to teach them how to die. Can you imagine a love like that? Can you imagine an act of compassion like that? Pay attention to your feelings, to the love and the grace and the mercy that you felt when you heard that story. And please don't try and figure out if you would do the same. That's not the point. The point is, in and through Christ, we can find a different way to live these days 
how we live these days will influence how we live the rest of our days. For my dear friends, the good news of the gospel is this. We believe in a God who doesn't run from pain, but runs to us. For the good news of Friday is we believe in a God who suffers with us because that's the only kind of God who can help us. So thanks be to God for the life and the death of Jesus the Christ. Amen. Will you pray with me? We stand in awe of your love for us and for all of your creation, O God. May that love be made manifest and embodied through us so that your whole creation will see and know your love. For we pray in your holy name. Amen.